welcome to the Waystation podcast, brought to you by the Chrysalis Institute. Our mission is to expand the spectrum of opportunities available to emerging BIPOC artists by supporting self-exploration, self-care, and contemplative practices. We are anchored in the parallels drawn from the environment with respect to human growth, social justice imperatives, cultural and ancestral inheritance, and a profound love for the arts. The Waystation podcast was created to highlight and amplify the creative trajectories of the emerging BIPOC artists who participate in our offerings. This space captures their histories, triumphs, and creative insights. The Chrysalis Institute recognizes, honors, and respects the complicated threads of living and working on the unceded land of the Three Fires Confederacy, the Ojibwe, the Ottawa, and the Potawatomi. I am your host, Alessandra Santos Pai. In this episode, we will be featuring Laura Carolini Casas. Laura resides in Raleigh, North Carolina, original territory of the Tuscarora people, where she is the clay studio coordinator and pottery instructor at the Pullen Art Center. She operates her own studio practice, Casas Studios, in a rented space at the Carter Building in downtown Raleigh. Casas graduated from Western Carolina University in 2018 with a BFA in Studio Art and has been featured in several gallery exhibitions and markets. Laura aims to create wares that resonate with the user while expressing her individual inherited cultural memory through narrative and latent energies. She acknowledges not only her identity as a contemporary Latin individual, but engages with indigenous influences and history through forms, clay choice, color palette, and techniques. Make sure to check the show notes for links to Lauda's work. Hi, Lauda. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing today? Yeah, pretty good. It's a, it's a cool night. <laughs> awesome. I gotta make my way down to North Carolina soon. I miss that place. Yeah, it's good. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have so much going on and I really appreciate having the the chance to have this chat with you. I already introduced you to the listeners, but it's always nice to have the artists introduce themselves. So if you could share a little bit about who you are with us, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. So um, my pronouns are her, they, uh, and I'm a Mexican-American creator. Uh, I like to call myself, I guess, a creator because uh, I feel like I get my hands and just, if I get my hands in it, then I try to do it and try to create something out of it. Uh, although my focus right now is mainly illustration and um, and 3D uh, ceramics, functional ceramics and pottery. Uh, I'm, I'm married. Um, my husband, Mason, I live in Raleigh uh, with my cat, Rosa. <laughs> She's like a little black and white cow cat. And I have two jobs, I guess, technically. Um, so I have my my own small business, my studio practice called Casa Ceramics. Uh, or not Casa, that was what it used to be called. <laughs> now, I changed the name to Casa Studios. Um, mainly to to hint at that aspect of, you know, I didn't want to limit myself to just 
clay. I wanted to do everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's Casa Studios. So, uh, which I have to, I'm, I'm really um, getting myself used to saying this is my job. You know, I'm not just, it's not just a hobby anymore. This isn't just me having fun. I'm an artist. This is my job. <laughs> um, and then my other job uh, is I'm the one of the coordinators at the Pullen Arts Center for their pottery studio. So we have two coordinators. Um, one's focus is on glaze and my focus is on the kilns at that center. And together we keep it, we keep it running. May not be smooth all the time, but it's running. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing about both of those jobs and <laughs> I also love it that you're owning it and saying, I'm an artist. This is my job. It's really nice. Brings a smile to my face. Oh, good. I imagine some of the people listening are already familiar with your work, but I really hope that those who are not will hurry, hurry there. (laughs) Go check out (laughs) the amazing, amazing work that you produce. Love, love, love your work. Next, we're just trying to dig a little bit into what are you trying to say with your work? What is it that you're aiming for the viewer to experience with your pieces? Sure. I think, hmm, so I'm going to start simple. So in one word, I would say optimism um, and kind of at the, you know, at the base. So like first impression, uh, my work is bright got a lot it's very colorful it's very tactile um and I like to think of my work as happy um narratives that are almost dreamlike um but overall optimistic Hmm. um I think I think at the time when I started this design I'll be honest I was incredibly depressed Hmm. and I, I think like um Probably, I don't know, maybe the worst, worst that it was. Uh, but, you know, it's something, you know, depression is, and anxiety is something I struggle with daily. Uh, and so I can easily get pretty realistic at times. But when I started making this, this particular design set, I needed a reminder. I need like, it was like a notes to self, like a reminder to myself that, yeah, you know, life kind of sucks, but it's not all too terrible, right? You know, there was always that question mark at the end, right? Yeah. You know, convincing myself that it's it's all good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. When you first look at it, you, it's like instant happiness, right? <laughs> Mission accomplished there. At the same time, hearing you peel that extra layer and draw us a little bit into the beginnings of your process and your relationship to these designs is really, really special. I love that idea that you're cultivating some sense of hopefulness, even, you know, in in the depths of depression. That's really wonderful. And thank you for sharing that. Thank you for bringing that vulnerability into this space. Yeah. And I mean, I think another thing about it is that. I kind of want it to look forced. Hmm. Well, like when I was in school, I felt like a lot of my work was forced, mainly just because I had assignments and most of the work that I was making was to learn how to do pottery and like learn how to do all the techniques and mainly assignment based. So that work was forced. But 
I think of this work as a type of force that's intentional, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I want my work to look happy, but yeah, there's those layers. I want someone to also look and see the layers underneath and say, oh, there's like aspects of this that are peeking through and like maybe the, you know, maybe the intentions aren't what I thought of when I first saw it. Like, you know, maybe the narrative wasn't, you know, maybe the narrative isn't just happy and, and, you know, and bright and (laughs) everything like that, but also not getting too grim. Like I don't ever put anything that's super grim. It's just all, there's like hints of it everywhere. (laughs) You know, when you talk about it, what comes to mind for me is that it's happy it's optimistic, Mm -hmm. it's light, but it's not effortless, right? Mm -hmm. You put a lot of work into that vision. And by hearing your description of it, of the force, I'm just wondering if there's this piece of, it takes a lot to get here. It does. And also, I think when I first started, um, like when you're in art school, and like, when you start hearing other people talk about their art, and you know, these folks are able to write 50 page dissertations about their work. And, you know, it's really easy to feel kind of like an imposter Mm. and get really, you know, and and get really in your head about it. Like for the longest time, I was very adamant in my thinking and very like, almost stubborn. Like, um, you know, I was like, my art, doesn't have to have a reason. I'm just making art to make art. Like kind of, that's kind of like how the the thought I had. So I figured out that that my thinking was my insecurities, and I was like, it's just not. I felt like my work wasn't good enough to have meaning, I guess. But the more I worked on the series, and the more I explored myself, I guess through these pieces, um, I became more aware and conscious of my own like subconscious coming through and all these different things with like identity, gender, feelings, emotions, and like processing those things. And I, and that's all layered within this pot. (laughs) I know this isn't a question that I plan to ask, but I was curious if you could share a little bit about the porcelain versus the red earth clay that you use now and the rationale behind that. Oh yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so typically I feel like when a lot of people think of ceramics, their mind goes to China, like fine china um, and like Wedgwood, you know, teacups <laughs> or to a, a mug that you find at Walmart or something like that. At least that's what I thought of when I first, when I thought of ceramics, I didn't think of handmade. But either way, either either which of those facets that you think about when you think of ceramics, they're probably not with red clay. It's usually with a white clay, um, like porcelain or a stoneware. Um, and it's also porcelain specifically is, it's put out a higher price point. It's put out a higher regard. You know, if, if someone makes work out of porcelain, you know that it's going to be a really nice and expensive piece. Um, por- I, w- I will say porcelain is a really nice clay. And I, really like working with porcelain um you do have to be very skilled to work with porcelain it is like working with cream cheese um so i understand why it's super expensive and things like that um 
but red clay, I, I have chose to work with red clay, um, particularly um, because I love the way it feels. Um, porcelain has this buttery smoothness to it. That's, that's, that's really effortless, you know, porcelain is effortlessly smooth. Um, whereas when someone thinks of red clay, they think of the red staining everything, the red clay, it's got all this iron, it's a little groggy, it's got, you know, it's not smooth. Um, I guess almost kind of like, kind of like my work in itself. It's like, at least the way that I use, um, earthenware it's like I'm forcing it to be buttery <laughs> um, but but also um, I I just particularly find red clay more appealing I think when I started going through my own personal journey um, say with um, my uh, cultural identity as a Mexican-American I just connected with the red clay way more than I did with porcelain you know the same thought behind um, like when I was in school, you know, we had all these opportunities to travel to Europe. Um, but I felt like I had no connection to Europe. I didn't feel like I needed to go to Europe um, in order to uh, find myself. Um, I felt, you know, I felt like finding myself would be going to Mexico for the first time. Um, which I, when I, I say the first time, but... Um, the last time I was in Mexico when I was was when I was six. <laughs> so, um, and I haven't been back since. I felt like I I couldn't visit Europe without or visit any other country without first visiting my homeland, you know, my motherland um, in Mexico. As you're starting to draw us into that piece of the choice also being a part of that personal discovery journey, this seems like a good time to tie it in with the idea of the Chrysalis Institute being a space that provides artists with an opportunity to do some of that self-exploration and see where those discoveries and where that discourse can be connected to their creative practice. And I'm curious if you can share a little bit about some important important takeaways, some things that felt relevant for you during your time with the Milkweed Learning Hub and the other artists and your own self-exploration process? Sure. Um, when I first heard about the chrysalis, it was actually, it was, I think it was through like an Instagram ad um, to, to apply. And I was, and it came at such a, at such a perfect moment, I think, in time. Uh, because for the past two years, um, my work had, I felt like it became very, um, it was, it was becoming actually forced. Like I was actually forcing myself to go to the studio, like, um, forcing myself just to do, just to get through all of my orders and like just forcing myself to look at my work, forcing myself to make the work. I was really losing I was losing sight of what made me, you know, love clay in the first place. I was getting really mm, burnt out, sure. essentially. Um, and when I saw this, you know, this opportunity, I was like, okay, I'm going to apply. And if I, if I get in, that'll be, that's going to, you know, I'm going to have time. I'm going to 
it's going to be a sign that I need to slow down and take a break, <laughs> and which it which it did. And you know, when I when I got that acceptance email, I was like, I was like, this is it. Things are going to change now. Things in my <laughs> life are going to change. They have to change. I can't keep going like this because mm-hmm. um, it's man to work through burnout is. Dang, I was smoldering. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it was like the chrysalis um, having this opportunity to talk and meet with other artists and get a different view um, on their practices and how they were dealing with burnout and how they were dealing with the challenges in their profession and their career. It reminding me that I wasn't alone and that um, and that it's not just me who's <laughs> who's feeling crazy. Um, and overall, I think the chrysalis helped me um, help me re- revisit my values. You know, mm. help me revisit um, my values. And also, um, I was given time to reflect on how I define myself. You know, I had forgotten. You know why I was making art, and I forgot. Well, not necessarily forgot, but I definitely, it was, it was clouded. My, my, um, my thoughts on why I began making art and just my, the overall definition of myself. Um, basically I just, it was a good fresh restart for me. That was one of the things that I remember you naming the piece of having a little bit more clarity, a little bit more spaciousness. Things feel a little bit more settled, a little bit more clear. I feel like I'm okay and I'm going to be okay. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. I think I think I had said I think I would phrase it as like I was congested. Yeah. I was mentally that's what you said. <laughs> I was mentally congested. <laughs> I do remember that. And that yes. And that the chrysalis was like my rescue neti pot. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You also pointed to this sense of isolation that can come up when you're just so immersed in your own trajectory and how the cohort facilitated the sharing of experiences, the sharing of processes, the sharing of exploration of identity and values and how it just felt good to be in community with other artists and not feel so alone. Thank you for lifting up those points. We had a little bit of time with you. You walked us through the studio and showed us each phase of the creation of a piece. Because we can't have that, maybe you can talk a little bit about what it's like to walk through your creation process. There's a lot to it, but maybe you can summarize what goes into the making of a ceramics piece by Lauda. Yeah, sure. I'm just going to, I'm going to give, first, I'm going to give a quick overview. Uh, basically. Um, my pottery, tan-pinched red earthenware clay. I also burnish it, so it has a little bit of a waxy sheen, and it's offset with a few uh, areas that are glazed. So you have like this two te- two different textures that you're feeling when you um, pick up a piece of mine. I am a small batch um, maker, so I particularly because my pieces take so long to make and it takes a lot of, takes a lot out of me mentally (laughs) and physically to make a batch of work. Um, So um, ideally uh, a batch is about 
15 pieces. Three months is, is, is what I found works for me. Um, and that first month um, is really, I'm in like basic form making uh, mode. So the first, the first week I'll spend the whole week preparing slabs. So I'll be rolling out slabs of clay. Um, and these slabs are going to act as the butt of my pieces. <laughs> so the bottom part of my pieces. Um, <laughs> and so I'll make, I'll probably use about 50 pounds of clay and just making slabs. Um, and used to, I would roll these out by hand. And that's typically why it took me a week. But recently, it dawned on me that I work at a community studio. <laughs> so I don't, even though I've worked there for two years, it literally just dawned on me like maybe this summer that I have access to a slab roller. <laughs> so, and the slab roller is basically just this big rolling press uh, for clay. And so what I'll do, and that, oh my goodness, doing that has knocked a week of work down to two days. Uh, and then I transport that back to my studio and um, that's when I'll cut everything out. So I cut everything out with cookie cutters. Um, and then by the end of that week, I'll have a set number of mug butts, <laughs> uh, cup, cup, cup bottoms, bowl bottoms, plate, uh, plate cutouts, um, and other miscellaneous cutouts. Sure, sure. So because all of your pieces are hand built, then you move into the building of the body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of like, that's like my next go around. I usually try to keep the making part to a month. So that's the prepping, the forming, the pinching, cleaning everything up and sponging everything off, making sure everything's smooth. And then the second month is all decorating. So I give myself, I try to give myself plenty of time to decorate everything. And so this is using the slip and carving and the underglaze and adding all these sorts of different color layers. Um, and then usually the last two weeks of that month is also the glazing. That's when I typically try to glaze everything. You've done such a good job sharing videos on Instagram with a little bit of process, and those are always so fun to watch. So I'm hoping folks will go check out your Instagram so they can see how this plays out in real life. <laughs> One thing that I remember us all being just in awe of was just the level of organization required for you to get through all of these stages, just seeing your calendar, your exhibition calendar, your sales calendar, the way you manage the aspects of, of the making of your pieces is just pretty impressive. You have a high level of organization and you've talked about how organization is imperative for you. With the Chrysalis Institute and through the Milkweed Learning Hub, one of our topics of discussion is to consider disconnecting from systems of oppression, detaching from ideals that are harmful to us, to people of color. And you've brought in an interesting point to the cohort because one of the ideas surrounding oppression is rigidity or the sense of urgency or creating high levels of structure that choke the creativity out of the process. 
But in a way, what you brought into our dialogue is the fact that these are aspects that are necessary for your process and how to juggle that, how to be someone who is organized, is pretty strict in terms of the way things need to progress, but also question what it does to you and to your body and to your capacity to rest and relax when you need to. Maybe you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah, absolutely. Another one of the reasons why I wanted to join the Chrysalis cohort was to figure out and understand the balance. Um, I kind of already knew the answer, but I think I wanted validation in my thinking mm-hmm. of what that balance might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you think about values and things like that, I always grew up with the notion of um working hard um, and even working through the burnout. I mean, I look at my parents and to get me, you know, I guess where I am today, they, they work through burnout, you know, learning, um, you know, learning throughout, you know, about all the, you know, about all the crazy things they had to go through when I was younger and things like that. (laughs) Like they did it. And so, um, so gener- when you think generationally, you know, yeah, there's always this this notion of like, you need to work hard. Um, but at the same time, like, I think this generation is learning more about self-care and learning how to take breaks mm-hmm. um, and learning, you know, sustainable ways to uh, take care of yourself. It's a big ask, right? Because here you are, you're the daughter of really, really hardworking people who have pretty much modeled that stance for you their entire lives and your entire life. And it's interesting to be the one to shift the narrative. It's interesting to be the one to make the change. And it's also really hard. It takes a lot out of us to be the initiators of the shift. Yeah. And and you know, when it, when it comes to like my own <laughs> organization, I guess it, I have to be very meticulously organized or else I will get nothing done. <laughs> For me, it's visual reminders. Um, I kind of need everything to be laid out in, in a visible uh, eyeline. So, you know, if you could see my computer corner, it's, litter- it's littered with uh, with post-it notes all over the wall. Um, and I have multiple, um, versions of a calendar (laughs) and multiple notebooks and just, just all to keep myself organized, you know, talking about those oppressive systems and how that could limit creativity. I mean, that was the past two years for me. I kind of did it to myself, but work, you know, working for galleries and making work for galleries. When you're in art school, um, I feel like the narrative was always try to get yourself into a gallery and you'll have made it, you know, that that was the way to make it was getting your work into galleries. Um, But I quickly came to realize that at, at least for me and how I work and how I want my work to be, I want to 100% be working for myself at some point. Relying on galleries wasn't and isn't a sustainable 
way for me to run my um, my practice. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you named that just because I hope that you all gained something from our time together, but I gained so much. I, I feel just so, so grateful. And I learned so much from you all. When we spend time together, one of the main takeaways that keeps coming back time and time again is the idea of just how you are, you're such a good example of challenging and questioning this prescribed ways of being an artist. You went there and you tried the gallery deal and you've had some heartbreaks with that and some realizations. And instead of persisting with something that wasn't working, it's not like you gave up. That's very different. You stuck with it and you did it for a while. But then you saw some problematic pieces that just didn't align with who you wanted to be as an artist. So you made a shift. And that's really beautiful to witness. It's really wonderful to hear these stories. Thank you for being that model for the rest of us. Oh, my, like, thank you. Yeah. I mean, there are some galleries out there that are doing it right, mm-hmm. I will say. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of galleries out there who are not mm-hmm. doing it right. Mm-hmm. And I think, are you familiar with the Rate My Professor? Yes. <laughs> I think there needs to be that version, but for galleries. A Rate My Gallery. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there needs to be a better way for artists to... Um, to you know, to know if this is like a safe space to work in, or or if this is like a safe space to, you know, will my art be valued here, or mm-hmm. am I just a part of the con, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, so just having some way to keep galleries on their toes, <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you asking to know what you're getting into, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a system that can be created so that we know what we're getting into? We know what we're saying yes to beforehand. I know for a fact from things you shared during our time together that you're someone who, when you have a negative experience, you will go back and let people know how they can improve their services and their ways of hosting artists, which is really important. Oftentimes, people just don't have the bandwidth to go back and try to suggest corrective measures. And I really appreciate that about you, that you are not only thinking of yourself and what you experienced, but you're looking out for artists coming after you. And that's really wonderful. I just wanted to lift up that that part of the story because I think it's inspiring and it can help other artists take action as well. I could talk to you for hours, Laura. I want to come down and visit and actually touch those mm-hmm. beautiful <laughs> pots you've got. And of course, spend more time with your work. And because we can't, I wanted to kind of move into the last portion of this conversation and see if maybe you could share with us if you were able to connect with 10-year-old Lauda, if you're able to have a little sit down, a little chat with 10-year-old you, what would you say? What would you say to her? Um, Honestly, I think it would just be to keep going. Um, I, you know, just that, just one more voice or just a voice telling myself that I'm going in the right direction. I feel like everything that happened to me like when I first started getting or expressing my 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 need I guess to be in a creative field um once I expressed that 
I think my, my parents definitely, they, they supported that idea, but, you know, still with the, the whole, like, oh, you should also do art education, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, still that, that hesitancy of like that starving artist trope, essentially, like, we don't want you to be a starving artist, that kind of thing. Right, right. <laughs> um, I would just be another voice to say, just keep going, you know, keep pursuing, uh, you know, craft. I was going to, I was thinking, what if I had taken art a little bit more seriously earlier, you know, like in high school or something like that, and really pursued craftsmanship and, and art making seriously when I was in high school. But yeah, I don't know. I think my progression was kind of fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I eventually, I eventually made it, I eventually made it here. Um, it, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, but I think definitely just keep pushing through it. Okay. Keep going. Keep pushing through it. So it'd be mainly words of encouragement, right? You're on the right path. Keep it moving. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Laura, thank you so much for your time here today. And I hope the rest of your day and the rest of your week uh, goes smoothly. And I can't wait to see you next year. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, um, we will talk soon. Thank you again. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Waystation podcast. We hope that these conversations will help foster a dynamic exchange of ideas uniquely pertinent to emerging BIPOC artists of all disciplines. We believe that creating a culture of care is the foundation to catalyzing the artistic legacy of people of color. To find out more about the artists, visit and follow the Chrysalis Institute on Instagram. If you'd like to support the Chrysalis Institute, please go to thechrysalisinstitute.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the Donate Now button. Today's episode was produced in-house by Eric Pai, our tech magician, with financial support from our crowdfunding campaign donors. I'm your host, Alessandra Santos Pai. Ciao!